Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining our Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security podcast. We have members of the Gen Z program. My name is Camille King. I am a junior TV and film major, English minor from Connecticut at Howard University. I am working on the communication teams with WCAPS this summer. I'm very excited to start this podcast with these members and really get into a deep discussion on what peace and security means to us as women of color, how we are affected by it, and what we can do to improve our peace and security. With that being said, I want to jump right in and put out to the group, what does peace and security mean to you? Please go right ahead and call on. Hello, I'm Carolyn Felix. And I think for me, um, peace and security isn't just like, you know, um, like the, the lack of war, but peace and security is also like um, the presence of opportunity so that people can thrive. So I think for um, communities around the world, having peace and security is having an environment that facilitates communities' ability to thrive. Um, because it's actually those resources such as, let it be access to food, access to education, access to you know, healthcare, that's actually what facilitates peace and takes away the kind of obstacles that actually lead to war. Um, so yeah, so for, for me, peace and security isn't just the lack of war or the lack of actual violence, but having an environment that facilitates the peace itself. So facilitates um, human beings being dignified, um, human beings feeling um, good about themselves, about the way they're contributing to society, being fulfilled. Um, so yeah, so I think of like, you know, for me in my community and also in the communities I want to work in internationally, the goal isn't just to take away war, but to actually create a community where um, violence and war um, and instability aren't necessarily, aren't, aren't kind of um, outcomes when you have a community where people feel fulfilled, feel seen, feel like they're engaging and have a future in. Go right ahead, Eileen. I completely agree with um, what Kawalan was saying. I definitely feel like there's so many facets to security that people don't usually think about. And they're equally as crucial as when it comes to ones involving war. And um, you know what we think about like weapons of mass destruction and stuff like that. It's um, food security. It's um, the availability of um, health and safety um, resources. It's the availability of clean water. It's so many different things. And um, that's why I think it's so important that people um, from all kinds of different backgrounds are involved in um, figuring out what security means in certain areas because it's just so, um, there's just so much to talk about and there's so many different facets of, uh, of what security means. You bring up a great point, Eileen, is, and you as well, uh, Kaolan. Uh, it's not just, you know, like you said, using weaponry and, and we're talking about war, um, but I think a bigger piece in the last few years has been access to, to technology as well. Um, even in like my community of Detroit, um, school districts having access to um, computers and Wi-Fi and um, lights and gas in homes has become a big part of making children and their families feel safe and feel like they're actually um, being able to take advantage of things that are available to them. 
Um, so the access to the internet and access to different facets of information is hugely important in peace security um, in the community. All of you made such a wonderful point and I agree with each and every one that was made. I definitely think that the environment that you're put in and the community that you're put in has a huge impact on your peace and security and being able to have access to the resources that are in your community environment really gives you a sense of peace that you're able to access those things that can help you, whether it's technology or food or water. So you guys really hit right on with those points. Um, so going into the next one is really, what are instances then when you guys are in your own communities and environments that you really feel that your peace and security is at risk? And before answering that question, please introduce yourself to the audience. We love to hear a short background on you guys. Uh, your name, age, and the school you attend would be great, but go right into it. I'll start. Um, I'm Eileen Junwen, and I'm from Salinas, California, which is in the Central Coast, a little bit uh, like maybe two hours from San Francisco. And um, right now I'm about to transfer to UC Berkeley, which I'm super excited about. I'm hoping to major in global development or global studies where we're still figuring that out. But um, um, I'll let should I let everyone introduce themselves or should I go on and answer the question? You can go on an answer and then whoever wants to take over from there. Okay, sounds good. Um, I think that definitely instances where I feel like my personal security, uh, my personal security is at risk and the security of my community is definitely gun violence, it's housing insecurity, it's immigration status and even food insecurity, which I mentioned earlier. It's just um, a bunch of different um, interrelated issues that really um, impact my community and impact my life. And um, that's something that I really wanna take on as a professional because it's just um, it go, going on and like getting to this point in my life, I'm a junior in college. You really get to learn a lot about how other people live and how other people um, structure their societies. And I really want to change the way that we prioritize different um, standards of safety and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, those are all different issues that um, I feel really impact me. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Jada. I'm a senior at Oakland University. Um, studying international relations and I have a minor in German language and literature. Um, just to piggyback on Eileen, that was a great answer to the question. Um, and I would definitely agree with the, the aspect of gun violence in the community. I'm from Detroit um, and I go to school at, like I said, OU, which is about 45 minutes outside of the city. Um, but even within Detroit, there's been a growing phenomenon of gentrification and as a native Detroiter and as a black woman, that's very scary because we notice with gentrification, you know, prices rise, um, access to, to decent jobs go down. Um, I literally was in a, meet, a neighborhood meeting with the um, director of the Department of Neighborhoods for Detroit. And with the growing number of corporations in the city, I asked, you know, with all this new business opportunity and all of these new jobs, what are some ways that we are advertising these things to inner city Detroiters? Um, Detroit is huge, so getting those opportunities to people who live farther from downtown is going to be a bit harder. 
And I've had, I had him flat out say to my face, well, we're not really focused on the inner city right now. We're trying to really appeal to the people who can bike to work, which is for me became coded language for the nice white folk who are moving in um, at, in the downtown area. So um, gentrification is a huge, that, that really affected me growing up and seeing my communities be, you know, being kind of taken apart bit by bit, even down to like the names of neighborhoods being changed um, has been really hard and has really made me and my community feel a little uneasy. Um, I think for me, uh, definitely agree with like, you know, the other folks have been talking like general for like I'm from Miami, Florida. Well, I forgot to give my introduction. So my name is Carol Ann Felix. I am originally from Miami, Florida. I go to school at Columbia University. I'm a junior and I study history of the African diaspora, but I'm particularly in, you know, kind of career wise interested in international development and deco decolonizing international development. Um, I think for me, when I think of, uh, I think as an immigrant, when I think of my community, it's always like twofolded. It's not only my community where I grew up in Miami, but also in Haiti too. But I think they mirror each other a lot and like, you know, general lack of resources. You know, how are folks um, being able to access opportunity, let it be jobs, um, let it be education, let it be anything that um, like, or let it be just access to food um, and kind of safety has always been like a big threat to um, uh, my community and peace and security. I think for me in particular, and this is of course in Miami and Haiti as well, but also looking at gender-based violence. Gender-based violence is really common um, throughout South Florida and Haiti um, in the ways that affects, uh, you know, women and femme folks, um, our, our ability to kind of let it be, be successful and kind of uh, have healthy relationships in our work lives and our school lives. Um, but it could also feel like sometimes just going down the street, let it be street harassment that I experienced. And that, and you know, street harassment is only one example or kind Kind of one indicator of the greater issues of like you know gender um issues that happen in my community as well so i think um you know sometimes just going down the street and not feeling safe um really takes away from that excellent points that you guys all made um, between gun violence inner cities gentrification um, a few of you having immigration backgrounds and being someone who is currently going to school in DC, I really resonate with gender violence. And as Caroline said, going down the street and not feeling safe because of people kind of harassing to get your attention or something that you have or carrying a bag or a purse is really unfortunate. And I think that it's very prevalent um, being a woman in a city walking alone and making the point where I have to make the extra step to make sure I have a friend with me or someone on the phone, because if something were to happen to me, who would be there or know that, you know, I'm lost or in danger. So I feel like really just being a woman here in America, being a woman in a city, um, going to school, especially at an age that we are all at is very, it's really something that, um, that what's the word I'm looking for kind of messes with our peace and security and not feeling safe in a place where I really should be feeling safe, which is just as easily as being on a college campus. So thank you guys for sharing those points and really being relatable with all the points that you shared. Um, and so as we're talking about what makes us feel that our peace and security is at risk, do you, any of you have any propositions or solutions to what can help us resolve the issues of peace and security, especially amongst minority communities? Um, and if so, how would you like to see people of color and people who are in power advocate for women of color more?
Well, I think the answer is always multi-pronged. Um, you know, women in different communities don't need the same thing. Like, you know, me as a woman, you know, who now lives in New York City, um, my needs are gonna be really different from a woman, from like maybe a Native American woman who's in Oklahoma. So I think the first answer is just to ask women in our communities, what do we need? And not only what do we need, but like, um, you know, as, like, as allies um, who want to help us, but also like what tools do we need to be empowered to kind of do the work ourselves? Because I think um, ultimately the change that really needs to be made um, isn't going to lie. Like, yes, allies, men, um, non-women are going to be instrumental in that work. But I think really it's about, you know, empowering women to have the tools to kind of um, address the issues that they see themselves. And I think, uh, so yeah, I feel like first asking women, you know, what are the issues that you're facing? But second of all, not only kind of putting per se yourself in the kind of front seat of like solving these issues. So for example, an issue could be um, domestic violence. I don't think the answer is just, you know, men, you know, one part of the answer could be men talking about domestic violence, but another part could also be women leading community support groups to kind of address issues within their own community to kind of, you know, create resources for each other to confide in each other. So I feel as if like, yes, so of course we want people to support us, but we also um, need people who have more power than us, who have um, the resources that we don't have to, you know, step aside and to let go of their ego and, and give us the tools we need to kind of um, lead the change that we want to make. I agree with um, what Caroline was saying about having um, community-based um, solutions to um, the different issues that um, we are facing. And something that I have um, recently really found super helpful, and it's like a really small step, but the first step that I think has really helped me in my journey about learning about what I wanna see in my community is ethnic studies courses. This is something that's really big, not only in my community, but I know statewide in California and around the country as well. It's just learning about your history, learning about um, who you are, where you come from, learning about the people that came before you and learning about um, the roots of um, the problems that communities are facing right now. Um, I, I know that in my community right now, there's huge protests coming from um, the um, districts in my um, city. We're not a big city, it's a very small city, but um, there's protests coming in that they don't want to teach critical race theory, ethnic studies and, and things like that. And I truly see that as a, a failure, a, a big failure from um, people in school boards, people in government that um, our histories are being hidden from us. And especially for me, I'm a Mexican, I'm Mexican-American, but I'm also indigenous. And it's um, one of those things that um, I have learned to reconcile now. And it teaches me a lot about what I need and what my community needs. So I think that that's something that could truly be a start to finding other solutions. I think you both hit it like right on the head. Um, Caroline, you brought up a great, I mean, a great point about, you know, giving uh, women of color a seat at the table and letting them create their own avenues to um, facilitate equity. Um, and you as well, I mean, just making sure that we have, um, we have voices, you know, it's hard to maintain our voice when there's active le legislation to remove our history from, from, curriculums and um, being able to tell our own story is important in 
and creating safe spaces for us and you know making changes that we want to see on all levels of you know society I love the point, Eileen, that you made um, about creating an ethnic studies program. I think some of these steps definitely start right in our classroom um, with our professors teaching us these courses and allowing us to have access to even take them. And as well as what everyone else said about having a seat at the table of a woman as a woman of color and being able to make those big decisions and being in those positions of leadership that can really help other communities with the tools that they want. And the first question, like what Caroline said, is to really ask, what do we need? What tools will help us? So having discussions like this where we can say we need this for our peace and we need this for our security is really what's going to move this process forward. And so as we're talking about having a seat at the table of women of color, what do you all think about the media having a influence on how women of color are stereotyped and if that prevents them from having a seat at the table? Um, do you think that the media helps or encourages women of color in their communities? If so, or if not, please provide your explanation. Um, I think media definitely has a, a huge stake in how women of color are perceived and how often they are invited to these tables. And um, just from personal experience, even getting to the table, um, having those stereotypes present themselves, you know, with the people that you're speaking with uh, is a big issue. Um, but what I have noticed in the past year or so is just this huge push of um, women of color content creators who are changing the narrative and presenting women of color in many different lights, which really kind of overshadows those harmful stereotypes that we have. Um, and that's going to be super important in the future when we're discussing, you know, the most, you know, just how diverse women are and not just these individual really harmful, really negative stereotypes that we see on a day-to-day -day basis in the media. Jada, oh my gosh, like that has been my obsession for a while now, just um, seeing all the women of color and also um, the non-binary folks who are coming and attacking all these um, different harmful tropes in media. It's not just the over-sexualization, but of course, different stereotypes lead to that. And it's just um, been seeing this change in how we see ourselves that I think is really important. And despite all this change that um, we are seeing when it comes to media representation and media criticism, I, I, I personally still feel the effects of over-sexualization, of stereotyping women into um, whether it's because of your ethnicity, your race, your religion, whatever it is, all these stereotypes are so harmful. And um, even if you do get to the table, if you get a seat at the table, once you're there, the way that people react towards you based on their um, internalized prejudices is really um, something that makes it really difficult and something that even I, I bet all of us in, in classrooms and in discussions have felt this, people talking over you, people dismissing your points because either you're a woman or you come from here or you, you look like this. And it, it's just something that 
um, I think that really it's something that really needs to be attacked. And um, it's really something that I see because of um, because of social media, because of YouTube, all these different resources where women can connect and talk to each other. Um, there has been a change, but we still need we have we still have a far way to go. Yes, I feel like media is almost cyclical or like kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy is that like, you know, um, if women of color don't have a seat at the table, the media it's not, itself is not going to be reflective of the needs and experience of women of color, and which is going to further the stigma where women of color are not having a seat at the table. So it's once again, this like weird kind of um, circle effect. And I think we, and I think when approaching like ways to change media to assure that media is reflecting experiences of women of color and therefore continues to be empowerment, like, you know, yes, we need people, uh, women of color um, on the screen, but we also need them in the boardroom kind of making decisions to kind of slowly move the narrative forward. But I do think social media has been really interesting because um, now you have the opportunity where like, at least in theory, anyone can build platform. Of course, we know that there's various kind of internal biases where of course there's going to be some folks who have the upper hand in building those huge platforms. But in the lesson theory definitely makes it much more accessible for women of color to kind of, you know, come to media on their own terms and talk about things that they actually really care about and have and having a following that's much more organic where, um, you know, if I like what you're saying, I'm gonna follow you, I'll engage with you, let it be um, buying your products, sending you money, yada, yada. So I feel as if like social media has been interesting because it has, um, Give women of color a power that um, uh, that traditional media hasn't, and therefore it's also been able to allow us to kind of lead our own own conversations where traditional media like TV news, um, magazines are kind of catching up because they're like, okay, this is what sells. This is a market we haven't really been tapping into. Women of color telling their own stories. So I think social media is interesting. It's a powerful um, tool, but of course it also has flaws. As I said before, social media is filled with our own biases. So of course, um, a lot of things we see on TV are still going to be projected, projected on social media as well. I totally agree with everything that was said. Um, I think it's interesting that women of color are able to use their platform and build a platform online but I guess the question still is, how do we transition from online to making these more real in-person experiences? And I know it's even more difficult with the pandemic. And as everything is trans just transitioning, excuse me, online, how can we kind of make those benefits and those tools and experiences from there transition to our real life experiences if the world ever goes back to being in person? So if you guys have any solutions or want to kind of harp on that please jump in um I think the like immediate answer that starts you know just on day-to-day -day interactions is opening the conversation so it's super easy to be like hey did you see um that Simone Biles dropped out of the Olympics because she was facing some mental health issues and being able to steer the conversation towards you know how are women of how are women of color affected by not being able to really express or take care of their mental health um and those small conversations kind of, you know, transfer into a wider day-to-day -day life um, change, which is very, very important. So I think opening the conversation is just the, the most direct, easiest way that social media affects like our real life situations. I also just want to bring up, I'm just really thinking about the impact that the media has and as a TV and film major, I'm very interested in this section. So I feel like we did touch on this, how there's a lot of hypersexualization of women 
And it begins to think that women of color are only hypersexualized. They only know how to do this in the industry or they do too much makeup or too much hairstyle, too many hairstyles. And there's so much being said on that. And it's kind of, I don't know if you guys feel that we should be changing that perspective that everyone has of us because of the media or just use it and say, you know, we're going to do what we're going to want to do at the end of the day. Um, and we shouldn't have to change because of all the backlash that we're getting. Um, well, I think that um, especially concerning aspects of ourselves that are part of our culture, not allowing media to diminish our culture because it, it it's a very slippery slope from, hey, maybe these are things that we can tweak to make it a little bit more digestible for other groups to now we're not being ourselves because we are catering to a different population. So I think it's it's kind of a a nuanced situation um, regarding that. I agree with um, Jada, what Jada said, that there's a lot of um, nuance and a lack thereof that we end up seeing in a lot of these situations because um, like recently we've seen a lot of people um, push for like taking back and reclaiming um, titles and reclaiming, um, um, I guess, stereotypes and stuff. and. In one way, I think that that can be a way to co combat um, the negative effects of whether it's um, hypersexualization or racism or anything. But I still, I, I guess I'm just not sure that it's um, uh, the correct way. And obviously, there shouldn't just be one way to tackle it. So I feel like if someone wants to reclaim that, if they want, if they want to, um, if they want to, if that's who they feel if they feel authentic wearing that mantle being that person then they should feel free to do it but um also like there still is going to be a pushback and that's the really sad part but it's just a I guess it's a larger discussion and like Jada said it's just it, it requires a lot of nuance Thank you for sharing that. Um, and as we talk about having a seat at the table, the impact the media has, um, I think some people really feel empowered by the media. Um, we mentioned earlier how it's become a, bit, a little bit more accessible and easier to build a platform, which is giving people a sense of empowerment for their community to outreach people from other communities and really have a voice and lift their voices up. And so I want to ask you guys, what does empowerment mean to you? And if you can share an experience or something that makes you truly feel empowered, what um, characteristic and values are going into the empowerment that you're feeling? Is that an internal, internal feeling that you have? Is it from external sources? Um, and if you haven't felt um, empowered in a while or ever felt a sense of empowerment, what do you think would help you reach that? I think a lot of times we think of empowerment, it's like, you know, the like the, uh, the opportunity to fight for something. And I think that is so good and well, but I also think it's just um, the opportunity to have a choice, like a choice in what you want to do in life. I think fighting, you know, as, as, a, as a Black woman, you know, in this country, I think I was born in a world where I had to fight. Um, and that's great, but also 
a lot of times I don't really have that choice. And I kind of question whether or not um, not having the choice where I'm always put in this place where I have to, you know, demand, I have to take up space in order to, you know, get what I need to like, not even to live comfortably, just to survive. I wonder if, you know, having, I think for me, sometimes being empowered is being empowered to take a break, being empowered to relax, being empowered to say that I've had enough and I want to step away and not always being put in a position where I have to, you know, work 10 times harder um, than everyone else to get somewhere. I think, you know, that's a part of empowerment, having, you know, the right to, you know, demand my rights, of course, but I also think having the right to rest, the right to, you know, have fun, the right to just, you know, you know, love the people I'm around and to, you know, find peace. I feel as if that's also part of empowerment, just because like always being put, put in a position where you are, you know, where you're, you know, fighting for something and you're always just so resilient really does burn out. And I, and I wonder whether, and I tend sometimes question if um, when we always see empowerment through the slide of like, you know, fighting through something, getting through something, resilience, you know, being strong, if that's truly um, the full range of, of empowerment, if we aren't really given a choice, if that's all I can do to survive, how empowering is that experience? And for me, sometimes almost the opposite, it can be empowering just to have the space and opportunity to let go, to be myself. Um, to heal and to work um, and just, you know, and to just relax and have fun in this, like, you know, in this existence that we all are granted. That's so, so important, dude. Like, it's really important to, like, not base the, your empowerment on, on other outside factors, even though sometimes we feel we're, like, forced to. Um, I know for me, a huge part of a huge part of my empowerment prior to COVID was school. Um, so I always felt super good when I did well in school. Um, I get a lot of praise for it, and I was really basing it on those external factors. But then we went online, and I found out that I am not the best online le learner. At least I wasn't when the um, when the quarantine first started. And so having to shift my expectations for what I was considering to be um, uplifting to me was hard. And now. Um, it's really just accomplishing little goals for myself, even something as simple as, oh my goodness, I got a new plant and it's doing really well today. And I'm happy for myself because I used to kill plants. So now, now it's kind of, you know, changed to my day-to-day, -day, like making myself happy, which I think is important. That's definitely so important. Like just being able to take care of yourself, be able to take that time to um, really do what fulfills you is so empowering. And I feel like um, a lot of times in my culture, maybe it's the culture of being a woman, it's always feeling like a competition, you know? Um, and even in like more shallow ways where it's like, um, like a mean girl situation where, oh my God, she's prettier than me. Oh my God, she's smarter than me or like stuff like that. And for a long time, it felt like that competition. And especially in the culture of um, being growing up in a relatively small town, it was always about what the other person was doing. And for me, um, empowerment was realizing how, how liberating it feels to uplift other people and to root for this, their successes like they're yours and um, see it like that. Like for me now, like I really feel like seeing other students like me who are first generation community college students, seeing them accomplish their dreams is like so empowering to me. And it makes me feel so happy that um, I'm not, that it's not just me succeeding. It's everyone else around me, everyone I grew up with, everyone who grew up like me. And I feel um, like that's truly 
given me that sense of belonging, that sense of empowerment. Definitely other people's successes make me feel empowered as well. I've come to realize that one of like my gifts or what I really enjoy doing is making other people happy and sharing the blessings and opportunities that I have and hoping to bless them and give them the same access to the resources that someone else gave me. Um, but it's also interesting that Carolyn said that, you know, as a black woman, I feel like we're always fighting. We're always put in a position where we have to stand up strong and kind of do more things to really take up space in the room and let our voice be known but it's okay to not always fight. Um, and sometimes it really does just come from taking a step back, realizing that you're worthy of all the opportunities and experiences and networks that you've built on your own. And also just have fun. I mean, life is really about enjoying the process, learning from it and keeping it pushing. So to kind of come to terms with yourself that you don't always have to be the loudest person in the room or take on all the leadership positions, but you can also do things on the backhand and really start with that internal realization that you were meant to be here. Um, I think a lot of the times I kind of question, you know, why am I in this room or what can I offer, especially in a room that is extremely diverse where there may not be a lot of people that look like me. I kind of say, okay, I feel like I'm not empowered right now. Like I, I'm not sure where I fit in. Um, and I can really talk from personal experiences that my mom was always telling me that you were meant to hear, be here and that because of who you are, you're able to offer a different point of view than everyone else in that room. No one else can speak from being a black woman in that room when there is a variety of other different ethnicities. So I also wanna ask you guys, you know, what are some experiences when you do not feel empowered and what do you do to kind of come back in terms and lift your spirit up and build that confidence to say, you know, I was meant to be here and I'm going to offer everything I can in this room and space. I think that um, I really gained this skill going to a PWI, a predominantly white institution, because I had really, really bad imposter syndrome my first and second year of college. And so I would be in rooms where I was the only person who had grew up disadvantaged um, or with a lack of housing security and insurance and all of these little things that people don't, they just take for granted. Um, and it literally took one interaction for me. I was in a classroom and I was the only person of color in the classroom. And we were talking about access to healthcare. And so many people brought up great points about, you know, who's gonna pay for it? What's, you know, how do we, how do we fix something that's so broken? And I had to stand up and ask, has anybody here not had access to insurance? Has anybody here like not felt safe going to a hospital or felt like they couldn't afford to go to the hospital? And inserting like you said inserting our opinion and our experiences into those settings is really that really made me feel empowered because it was just I felt heard and I knew that the only way I was going to feel heard is if I said it myself so I think that's where it starts is just speaking up for yourself sometimes and um advocating for what you know to be true in your experience
I I was gonna bring up something really similar, Jada, like um being in that situation where people are trying to explain your life to you or explain your circumstances or try to it's really disempowering. It's really it's really hurtful, honestly. And I, I've definitely been in that situation. I've definitely been in the situation where especially um I think I mentioned it earlier, there's just this one time I was in a class and I was speaking I was literally in the middle of uh, of saying something to a professor and someone talked right over me and it hurt so bad and I said something but after that I felt like I was in the wrong even though I had I perfectly had the right to speak and to say um I'm not done with my thought yet it made me feel like I was playing into stereotypes of myself of being an angry um, Latina woman, spicy Latina woman, whatever. It's, it's just um, one of those situations where it's, it's just like, why do I feel this way? And kind of coming to terms with that and being able to speak up for yourself, like you said, and really just um, not let anyone take away who you are from, from you. And I think um, me kind of realizing that and working on that and working on not being afraid to speak up for myself and not being afraid to voice my opinion has been something that has been really hard for me but something that I'm definitely working on especially with all these things we got rooting against us like the imposter syndrome and just everything that we have to go through um, in school and stuff so thank you for bringing that up Caroline, did you have anything to say on this point? No, not in particular. I think I think the other folks really kind of touched on like a lot of my ideas on this one. No problem. I definitely just think it's so interesting um, how you can feel so empowered in a situation where you're almost not supposed to feel that way. Um, Jada, for you to stand up in the middle of the class and share your experience and ask that question, knowing you probably already knew that answer. And that's something that puts you in a very vulnerable situation. But you said you came out and felt empowered is really amazing. So I just think the concept of us feeling empowered in situations where maybe we're meant to be or because of how people would look at us if we do, you know, is just so interesting and key to me. Um, and so you guys mentioned a little bit about how, you know, you standing up and sharing your opinion and voicing how you feel made you feel empowered. But that kind of leads me into what do you guys do to stay true to who you are? Is it manifestation? Is it meditation? I know people are into crystals. Is it your faith? But what practices or beliefs or instances do you practice to really say, this is who I am and this keeps me grounded? as well as, you know, making you feel at peace, secure, and safe with yourself and with your community and the environment that you're in. I think for me, just like, you know, finding things like, um, just honestly being around folks that I love. Um, and it's not just like being these like really kind of high intensity kind of, I do love going to parties, of course. Um, but like, you know, just being in like, in like comfortable spaces in nature too. So like going to the park with my friends and it doesn't have to be a big event of just like, you know, 
getting on a bike um, with each other and just chit-chatting. And I think really kind of taking up the space around us. Um, I think, you know, oftentimes like, you know, uh, people of color, especially um, black people, when we're kind of in public spaces, we're taught to like shrink ourselves, don't laugh too loud, don't talk too loud. Um, but being in spaces, I think also in natural spaces where you kind of feel the sunlight as a Floridian, I love me some sun, um, and you know, feeling community. And it doesn't have to be like this kind of super goal oriented kind of like, yeah, we're like, you know, going to this big restaurant or anything, but it's like kind of the small moments where, um, you just kind of get to let go, be present, um, you know, just feel the beauty of like the environment around you, feel the beauty and the love around of the people around you. So I think being community in like really kind of natural spaces, such as like, you know, beaches, parks, um, like let me be going on a walk with folks and kind of being able to um, disconnect from a lot of the virtual things in our life and really kind of focusing not only on like where we're at in the space, but also each other. Oh my goodness, that's so, so important. Like being at home last year and not being able to like go to my aunt's house and sit in her kitchen and just like talk to my family was huge. Um, so just like being able to see the people we love, like you said, being in nature. Um, but also for me, it's been picking up on those things that I felt like I had to let go of because I was getting older. Um, I used to be really, really into like teen fantasy fiction as a as a kid like late middle school and also in high school and when I got to college I was like oh this is very serious you know no no fantasy fiction and recently I was just like what that makes no sense like you literally aren't speaking you don't sound right so I <laughs> I started reading again and just kind of like picking up where I left off on things that made me happy that I didn't realize what were contributing greatly to my success so I think like definitely um, what Caroline was saying about um, being um, like being with people and doing that kind of stuff that that really makes me happy too. And um, especially being with um, my family now, especially we hadn't seen each other for so long and we're, we're a really small family. So we're really tight knit. So just being able to um, sit with um, my cousins and uncles and aunts and just um, really have these like long, to like 4 a.m. conversations, like um, just be able to go do the things that we love. We love hiking. We love being out in nature. Uh, we love cooking. I think cooking such a big um, form of remembering who I am and what I love because it's something that it like the recipes that we have and um, doing it together. It's just something that's so unique to our family. Every family probably has their own recipes. And that's just like one of my happy places. And also um, just um, reconnecting with the things that I have always liked, but have forgotten about, like Jada said too. I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift. I used to be so like embarrassed. I listened to Taylor Swift when I was little for no reason. And it's just, it's been the best. Just, um, just, really remembering what you love and staying true to that, I guess. I'm so glad to hear that you guys are all doing things that you love and are really helping you to stay grounded, especially during the pandemic. Um, something that I've been doing is journaling, which I always thought was weird and embarrassing. And I was like, why would I write down my thoughts and feelings? But as I've you know, gotten older, I've realized that writing down 
the big parts of my life and even the small things, just like I went to the store and this made me happy and I talked with this person really helps me remember what I enjoy doing and what puts a smile on my face. Um, as well as affirmations is something I've started, which has really helped my confidence and just preparing for meetings and big interviews and all of that. So I appreciate um, the ability to kind of sit down and take a few moments to really care for myself and manage my mental health and prioritize that. And um, as our podcast is coming to an end, I do want to open the floor to anyone to ask any final questions, whether it is to each other, um, to myself, or just go back to a point that was said. So this would be a time to do so. If anyone wants to start, you are more than welcome to do it now. I'll ask everyone just like a fun question. Like what is everyone's comfort character, comfort movie? Just when you just need to feel at home and yourself, what do you like to do? Um, I think my comfort movie is definitely probably Transformers. Um, <laughs> we saw all of them in theaters when I was a kid and it just, who doesn't like Michael Bay explosions and robots? I don't know. I just like, <laughs> I just like that a lot. Um, I guess for me, probably my comfort activity, even though I honestly struggled, I honestly kind of struggle to do it these days. It's just kind of reading a book. I reading a book I honestly like. Um, like I think there's like a book that I love called Interpretive Malady. So, and it's a kind of a bunch of short stories. So I love reading short stories, reading a huge novel. I don't know what it's about college has just made it really hard to kind of sit with but like I love that book would really recommend just because it kind of gives you good snippets and like shows and movies I like I loved girlfriends it's definitely set in the 2000s so like they definitely miss a lot of things but it sometimes it's kind of like mindless television or mindless Netflixing that I think is kind of funny. Definitely the 2000 shows. I agree with you. Um, honestly, my comfort movie is probably Lion King. Me and my brothers still watch Lion King to this day. All the originals. Um, I just think it's so comforting, the whole family aspect. It makes me happy and feel like a child again. Um, and I remember watching those on long road trips. I can just kind of sit and just relax, kick my feet up. Um, so it really hits home. <laughs> I love all of those, like just going back to what you like to do. I think like for me, it's definitely um, probably watching the trinity of movies. What is it? Mean Girls, Clueless, and Legally Blonde. I don't know why. I just can't stop watching those. Also, telenovelas. There's this one telenovela that I just cannot stop watching whenever I'm like feeling down. I just put on La Reina del Sur and it's just chef's kiss. It's amazing, but... Thanks for your guys' answers. Thank you for asking the group. Um, if no one else would like to chime in, I just kind of want to recap everything that we talked about. Um, we started off the conversation with what peace and security meant to each of us. And you guys had some excellent points about how right off the bat, it's not just about violence, but it's about the resources and access you have in your communities and environment to feel peace and secure. Um, when you're living and being put in those situations. 
Then we asked, you know, it's important to ask the question, what tools do you need to be safe? Um, putting that conversation out there and starting that discussion to really see what each individual community and person needs to feel that sense of security is very important. Um, and we transition into, you know, the impact that the media has on women of color. Uh, there's a lot of hypersexualization, but it also has its positive and negatives of the media. Um, it's helped people build a platform and share their voice and opinion, which helps other people and inspires them to do the same thing, whether it's for their business or for a movement that they're starting or organization that they're a part of. The media really does have some great opportunities to share those and to get more engagement from other people. And the media helps people feel empowered have a sense of empowerment, feel that their voice is being heard, their opinion matters. And by sharing your experience and background that may not relate to everybody in that room is really a way for you to feel empowered and feel that you know your opinion is going to help someone else understand where you're coming from. And then doing the things you love, what are you doing to stay grounded, to keep your peace of mind, to feel safe and secured? Whether it's going outside and feeling the sun on your face or walking your dog, all of that is important. It's really good for us to prioritize that and manage that, particularly in a place where we are in a pandemic and all struggling to find room to prioritize ourselves. And so this was a great conversation. Um, and I really want to thank each and every one of you for coming out and sharing your opinion, participating. And I want to wish everyone a great day and a great rest of their week. Thank you. Have a hope, you, hope everyone has a great day. Bye. Thanks. You too, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone. Bye.